This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The United States was long thought to have been the leader in the development of artificial intelligence. However, it may not be the case anymore or may not be the case in the very near future. China may very well have taken the lead in that area, and we may see changes happening sooner in this field than expected, according to our next guest. AI will not only transform our lives, it may also threaten the jobs of blue and white collar workers. Dr. Kai Fu Lee is a pioneer in the field of AI technology, former president of Google China, and he is the chairman and CEO of Sinovation Ventures. He has written a new book titled AI Superpowers. China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. That book, by the way, currently on both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list. And it's a pleasure to have Dr. Lee joining us right now. Dr. Lee, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Uh, so how, where are we in the state uh, of, this, uh, of this race for AI technology between the United States and China? Oh, well, it's really not a race because it's two parallel universes, each making progress. But if you want to measure who is doing a better job, we can do that. Uh, U.S. is actually still way ahead in the core technologies from research labs and universities. But China is now taking the lead in implementation uh, and creating value and using AI in all kinds of applications and uh, industries. You write in the book that a skillful application of artificial intelligence will be China's greatest opportunity to catch up with and maybe surpass the U.S., but more importantly, it'll help people rediscover what it means to be human. Can you take us a little further on those statements? Yes. Well, uh, I think the whole job market will change. Uh, we now currently see uh, narrow AI, uh, which is not this um, science fiction general AI human intelligence, but rather specific AI engines that solve one problem at a time. So engines that can do uh, loan decisions for banks, deal, uh, do customer service uh, for large companies, and uh, engines that can do simple robotics like fruit picking and dishwashing. And uh, these types of vertical um, applications of AI are exceeding human capabilities. So that means people doing routine job, the jobs will be replaced by AI. But AI is also very good for becoming tools for the creatives and professionals. So I can see scientists, CEOs, writers, columnists using AI as a tool. What this will happen, uh, what this will result in is a significant job transformation. People in the creative jobs and strategic jobs will get their capabilities amplified. And people in the routine jobs will need to transform and transition to a new job. And probably the only job category that's large enough to accommodate that many people in routine jobs are the service jobs, the jobs that require a human touch, the jobs that require compassion and empathy. So when this, trans this will be a very difficult transformation, but when it's done, it will actually have um, a large number of our population in service, empathetic, compassionate jobs like nannies and teachers and doctors and elderly caretakers. 
and it will create a positive energy and help us rediscover our humanity. Which, to a degree, we're already starting to see that at a little bit of a level, correct? Yes, we are currently seeing um, beginnings of job displacements in the routine jobs. Uh, we see tellers, cashiers starting to disappear, even without AI. And with AI, more of those jobs will be gone. We're also seeing a larger number of openings in jobs like elderly care. Uh, they're currently not filled due to perhaps not paying enough or not being well-known enough as a job category. As people uh, live longer, uh, they will require sub substantially more care. People over 80 need five times as much care. So we really do see the people who are currently in cashier, teller, customer service, potentially transitioning to jobs like uh, nannies and, um, uh, and, and elderly care. And, and currently it hasn't happened directly because I think in the society there's not yet a significant um, recognition that service jobs deserve the respect and the pay that and there will be greater demand. Currently, there are a lot of elderly care positions that are not filled, but hopefully over time, um, we'll see the need and then the pay and the social status will increase uh, to create more of an equilibrium. So what is going on differently in China right now surrounding AI and the understanding of it and kind of the build out of AI that is different from what we're seeing here in the United States to potentially put China in the lead in the next few years? Um, there are a couple of things that are unique about China. I think first, the Chinese entrepreneurs are much hungrier, work much harder and also much more tenacious. Uh, they're looking for all kinds of business models in which AI can help. Uh, AI in retail, education, uh, also just working out operational excellence in applying AI to, you know, uh, changing the way people eat, mm -hmm. uh, uh, disrupt the, a new um, set of autonomous uh, uh, stores and autonomous fast food restaurants. So it's, it's um, displacing those traditional uh, industries faster, uh, AI offering, you know, conv imagine convenience stores without people, imagine uh, fast food without people, and also um, AI is being used in a lot of white-collar job uh, displacement, which will impact U.S. and China equally. Um, but I think China is just moving faster because entrepreneurs are emboldened by the um, national priority on AI, funded by larger amounts of money, and they see this as the hottest area. And also the, the second reason, I think, is the use of AI is no longer so, such a mystery. We think of AI as very advanced technologies that very few, few people possess, but actually that, that is not true. AI is now uh, open source, um, and uh, new grads from college in a year's time can uh, engage in using AI in engineering and building these products. And China has um, an army of uh, new graduates who are all hungry to jump into AI as the new hot area. Also, China has more data than anybody. AI gets better with data. So if you train an AI for, let's say, an advertising engine or a um, ads targeting engine or something like um, a, um, a bank using AI for determining loans, 
the more data you have, the more accurate AI is. And China has more users and more usage per user because the use of digital services are pervasive. For example, China has almost no credit cards and no cash, yeah. and everyone's using mobile pay, and that's all fuel to make uh, rocket fuel for AI to work better. And finally, um, Chinese government is very supportive of AI, um, including a big plan from last year, July, uh, declaring AI to be one of the most important areas to focus on. Um, provincial and city governments are building out cities uh, the size of Chicago with autonomous vehicle in mind, with two layers of roads, one for pedestrians, one for cars, thereby limiting the possible um, accidents and casualty to the pedestrians. And highways are adding sensors to, to enable autonomous vehicle. So these very high-spend infrastructure items are just what the AI industry needs because the private companies uh, can't possibly afford to build cities and highways. We talk a, a lot about the, the startup culture here in the United States and, and obviously the role that, that Silicon Valley has played in that. What, what does the startup culture look like in China? Um, well, the culture is different from Silicon Valley in a couple of ways. I think um, Silicon Valley tends to be a more creative, innovative, wanting to uh, out, be out of box, invent something no one has seen before. It frowns upon copycat, and uh, it likes lightweight technologies, things like you know Instagram with 11 engineers acquired for a billion dollars. That's kind of the story that Silicon Valley celebrates. Uh, China is into incredible hard work. Companies are either uh, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, six days or seven days a week, uh, without exception. And uh, entrepreneurs are usually very strong, top-down, single person, makes all the decisions, but often data-driven. So the decisions are very fast. Not a lot of consensus building, uh, debates, and just move on and execute. Uh, Chinese companies are better at raising large amounts of money because there's a larger market that can test ideas and scale them. And uh, the Chinese companies are willing to go heavy. That is, build something that is incredibly uh, messy and ugly and, and complex to build. But once you build it, it becomes a moat to your business. For example, in the U.S., there is uh, Yelp and Groupon, very lightweight companies. Right. In China, there is Meituan, which actually had to build a 600,000-person delivery engine riding electrical mopeds with batteries that run out pretty quickly and have to be replaced. And yet they have to run it to essentially enable every Chinese consumer when before they get home, order food. And when they're home, the food is there so they don't have to wait and delivery in 30 minutes. And delivery costs about 70 cents. So, so basically it's the hard work that is shaving away a few cents a month, eventually getting to 70 cents mm -hmm. per order, then they can break even. So it is taking a large leap and a large um, bet and a large risk because if they don't succeed at 25 million orders a day, there's a huge loss. So it is really a winner-take-all, gladiatorial, no-holds-barred uh, kind of environment, and it's particularly suitable 
for building um, powerful companies or even monopolies, and particularly suitable for artificial intelligence, because as you build up a large um, customer base, you also have a large amount of data, which gives you tremendous advantage. We're joined by Dr. Kai-Fu Lee, who is uh, the author of the book, AI Superpowers, China's Silicon Valley and the New World Order. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Going back to the jobs for a second, th- then with some of the changes you expect to, to see occur uh, because of how artificial intelligence will impact our economies, how is the economy itself? Let's let's start with the United States. How is the economy going to be different in the United States in say thirty or forty years? When you think of at times when you think of the numbers that are involved in it, and in comparison with China, how is China kind of adapting itself already to some of these changes? Um, I, th- I think the, uh, the big benefit will be that AI will make companies more efficient, lower cost. Uh, is existing processes running through AI can be more profitable. By plugging in AI, Amazon's getting more ads dollars. Uh, Google's getting more uh, revenue. Facebook is getting more revenue. Microsoft's getting more revenue and sales. And then when that starts to happen with uh, banks, insurance companies, and uh, hospitals and so on, basically anyone adopting AI will see their P&L improve. Some because they uh, displace people and save costs, some because they increased efficiency or delivered higher margin. So PwC and McKinsey both estimate that by 2030, the world GDP will increase by about 12 to $17 trillion uh, purely as a net additional GDP because of AI. So it will make all the especially U.S. and China, wealthier. Um, the wealth will go into the hands of a smaller number of, of people who take advantage of AI. So the wealth inequality will increase. So one issue that's raised is how does that redistribution of income happen or does it need to happen? Uh, because there are many people who will be displaced from jobs. That's kind of one big question. Um, U.S. Uh, may need to look at ultra-high tax for ultra-wealthy people or companies, and whether that's likely to pass through the system, that remains to be seen. China will face the very same issue, but I think China will have a relatively um, easier time to increase taxes, however it wishes to do that. Um, The second big issue is uh, how will new jobs be created? I think some jobs over a longer period of time, I think AI will create a lot of jobs, uh, perhaps over 30 or 50 years. And also over 30 or 50 years, we may be working less. Some people may not need to work. Um, We may be working three or four days a week. So a lot of those could change. But in the meantime, people expect to work and they need the pay. So how to create those jobs so that the unemployment rate um, doesn't suddenly increase? I realize unemployment rates are at all-time low right now, right. Um, but that's primarily because AI hasn't started the displacement process, and it's coming in the next 
to the five years. Well, you mentioned the alternate universe that, that China is, is to a degree working on, especially with, with their Internet. What was it that, that drove them to, to really look to make this type of a change? Um, in developing a, a different Internet ecosystem? Correct. I think just entrepreneurship. Um, in, in the beginning, a lot of American companies didn't go to China either due to uh, regulations uh, that they didn't want to um, um, accept or because they felt it was too tough a market. So the Chinese entrepreneurs started initially copying the American ideas, not IP violation, but just copying the general idea of a search engine, a portal, uh, uh, e-commerce site, and so on. And over time, because the China uh, consumer base and the entrepreneurs, initially they copied and uh, later they started to innovate. So in the last three to five years, there are a lot of new Chinese innovations that uh, aren't seen in the U.S. So, for example, for the young people in China, the social media is dominated by a video-oriented social media system, very different from Snapchat, Instagram, or Facebook in the U.S. And the payment has uh, grown up to really take over cash and credit card. So you can imagine the parallel universe in which everything yeah. is paid by giant software companies and, and, and young people are in video social networks. So you can imagine the rest of the apps really plug into a very different large piece of puzzle in China. So think of China as one puzzle with little pieces plugged in. U.S. is another big puzzle. You can't just take a piece and plug into the other. So now that's what I mean by the parallel universe. Well, and then you can throw in WeChat as well, which has in incredibly developed in the, in the last few years as well, correct? Absolutely. I mean, WeChat is a, it's a giant Swiss Army app. It does everything. Think of this as uh, Facebook plus WhatsApp. Uh, plus Visa, plus MasterCard, yeah. uh, plus, you know, everything, everything, all the services you have, paying bills, uh, apps, and uh, think of Uber and Airbnb, all a part of this ecosystem. In the U.S., it'll probably be subject to antitrust issues, but uh, in China, it's um, allowed to, to run, and half of my day is spent in WeChat, and I think for for many people, like my wife, even more than half. <laughs> well, th then what are the lessons then you can probably learn from the strategy of Tencent with that? Um, well, I, th I think um, U.S. companies tend to focus and do one thing really well. Tencent uh, really strategically and gradually decided to build an empire for world domination. I think that is the difference. It had the ambition of the Microsoft before the Department of Justice reigned in and said, you can't do that. Um, and it's, you know, I think most of the practices are standard. Uh, build a strong platform, add on top of that, very smart investments in companies in which you don't have the competency, uh, but keep building out and make big bets. You know, they probably spend billions getting their payment accepted. And I think a refusal to accept that another company has won. You know, in, in, in China, it appeared four years ago that Alipay had won the payment wars. There, was, there were these credit card companies, and then there's Alipay, sort of like Visa MasterCard in the U.S., and then PayPal. But Tencent, as a Facebook of China, decided they're going to win in payments. And they just threw billions and billions at it, subsidized people, 
uh, created opportunities where people uh, felt fun to connect uh, their social network to their bank card. And I think it's this tenacity and never feeling you are in X industry but can't go into Y industry. And they actually managed to create a uh, total disruption where they have now about half the market from zero for payment, which right. is an incredibly difficult business to be in. So because of the fact that you mentioned that that in China, some of these companies have th- this ability to kind of run with the technology and see this, this unbelievable growth, and because we have the level of regulation that we have here in, in the United States, are we at a point right now where some of the companies in the United States could very well learn from from some of the things that are going on in China to be able to try and adapt here in the United States if you know for the next decade or two? Oh, I think it's definitely worth learning from. I think most of Silicon Valley still frowns upon China as merely a copycat. And that that would be a, a terrible mistake because China, every Chinese entrepreneur is learning from China and from the U.S. Right. Um, you know, they religiously read all the tech media, Wired, TechCrunch, and everything. Um, and if American entrepreneurs only learn from U.S. but not China, they're missing out on half of the uh, opportunities, lessons, and case studies. 844 7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. Dr. Kai-Fu Lee is our guest. He is the author of the book AI Superpowers, China's Silicon Valley in the New World Order, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So based on some of the insights you have into AI and the deep learning that's going on in both Silicon Valley and China, which are the companies right now that you think, either in the United States or in China, that really are are most advanced in in their ability to to kind of transform business through the power of AI and as well da- uh, data analytics? Well, uh, Google or Alphabet is clearly by far the most advanced. So if there is a disruption that completely changes everything that I stated in my book, it would probably come from Google. They have a phenomenal system from the hardware chips up to the uh, platform level, and they apply it to many, many um, areas. So I think they're by far the most uh, ahead in the core technologies. Uh, in very clever implementation with maybe some Chinese spirit is Amazon. I think their technologies team are, are fairly um, uh, 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 very elementary compared to Google's technology team yet they're able to find these applications and are willing to make big bets. So I think these are the two that are leading in the U.S. Uh, Facebook is, is very good, but they, I think they need to kind of recover. They have a strong AI team, yeah. but they haven't really, um, we don't really see the benefit yet. Theoretically, AI should help them fix a lot of the newsfeed problems and the, and the, and the um, PR issues they face. So it's possible that they could do that. In China, I think uh, Tencent is the, by far the most powerful company. Uh, their use of AI has been fairly modest. So I guess one could see that as a potential upside. Uh, Alibaba is um, applying AI um, much more rapidly yeah. because they've been in payments and commerce and they can see money coming out of uh, AI. So they're probably leading in that. 
Uh, Baidu is the Google of China. They probably have the most AI scientists in China, um, but they haven't uh, done as much to uh, to create value. So that remains to be seen. Final question for you in, in about a minute or so. What are the, the biggest breakthroughs that you still see on the horizon for AI? Um, actually, I do not, because I think AI is like um, electricity. I think based on what has been invented, plus the incremental improvements, we're going to see amazing things, uh, including autonomous vehicle, okay. which I don't view requiring a lot of new technologies. They're just a matter of gluing everything we know and incrementally applying it to the application. So I think we're in the midst of AI application, taking what is known and creating value in things like autonomous vehicles, uh, autonomous um, airplanes and uh, smart robots and so on. I think that will happen without any fundamental breakthrough. It's always possible to have a fundamental breakthrough. Um, I think some of the big issues that are faced are can AI learn on a few examples can AI learn to be have common sense and to learn multi-domain? Um, can AI um, uh, learn by itself? And can AI start to have common sense? And, and I think those issues, and also I think a big one is, can an average engineer learn to, learn to, uh, learn to use AI with just hours of training? Right. I think those are interesting problems that also may uh, we may see, we may or may, may not see solutions in the coming years. Dr. Lee, thank you very much for coming on the show. Greatly appreciate your insight and uh, all the success with the book. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, the book again, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Dr. Kai-Fu Lee is the author of the book, chairman and CEO of Sinovation Ventures. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.